Welcome to episode 270 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back to another episode. Brian, buddy, you're back in San Francisco, my friend. Made it back. Yeah. How's that jet lag? Didn't have it at all. Wasn't tired at all. Uh, I've slept slept like a baby the last <laughs> four nights. Uh, not one single problem. <laughs> yeah, I believe you. <laughs> I don't believe you. I yeah. don't believe you. It's good to be back. It's bad to be awake very early every day. Well, you know, that's the trade-off, right? That's a trade-off. Give it a week. You'll be better. But we're back, and uh, I'm, I'm looking now. Our ping is uh, 25 milliseconds, so I feel, you know, about four times closer to you. Than... <laughs> cool. Well, we got uh, good stuff to catch up on this week. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of recap, uh, follow-up from last week, and then we, we've got something new we want to talk about this week around uh, designing for privacy and, and behavior and some creepy stuff and, and trying to understand the pros and cons of, of privacy in digital products. So before we get into that, uh, we want to thank our sponsor, which is us. <laughs> uh, we have a job board on spec.fm at spec.fm slash jobs. Uh, we put together a little job board so that companies who are looking to hire designers and developers can get in front of people who listen to our shows, including this one. Uh, and also for designers and developers who are looking for jobs can go and, and browse and see what companies are hiring. It's new, we're getting it off the ground, but uh, we're plugging it here so that if you're looking for a job, you go check it out. It's at spec.fm slash jobs. But uh, also if your company or your team is trying to hire, uh, we'd love to help get that uh, listing in front of people who listen to the shows. So that's it, spec.fm slash jobs. If you want to create a listing, it's pretty cheap. It's like a hundred bucks for a month, which I think is cheaper than most job boards. Uh, that's at spec.fm slash jobs. Cool. And we had a, a, a couple nice people said a couple nice things, Brian. Oh, are we getting into to follow up? Yeah, we had yeah. some nice tweets this week. You want to read those? Yeah, sure. Uh, Gloria Wu, who is tomato underscore glue on Twitter, which is a great, great name. She said, thanks for making this podcast easy for designer noobs to understand. Noobs. I love your noobs, N-E-W-B-S. We put the B-S in noobs. <laughs> I love your conversations. Fun, quirky, witty, and intellectual. And puns, you're welcome. Also, uh, Divya Tak, I'm probably saying that wrong, but Divya Tak, Tak, T-A-K. She's Divya underscore attack at on twitter she says totally loving the new format i was pretty skeptical in the start but i am loving all the banter the tips all the tiny nuggets we get to hear and another mark brown fan hell yeah mark brown is the um uh, game makers toolkit person i mentioned last episode so thank you to divya and gloria much appreciated on the feedback there glad you're enjoying it thank you for stroking our egos uh and letting us <laughs> yes. re recount it in in vivid detail here on the show <laughs> yeah thank you for the tweets thanks to everyone who's tweeted at us we enjoy reading those and responding to those i do it for the happy listeners i do it for the fans <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if fans is the right word, but... It's a horrible word. Uh, I do yeah. it for, for my peers and for all the people on the internet who are having a good time and, and designing cool stuff. We need a name like, um, you know, like Beyonce has the beehive. Gaga has the monsters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We need, yeah, like maybe we can call them like the Deets, like the design detail Deets. <laughs> the Charlie Deets. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is it just the one? <laughs> just, we just have the one, the one Deet. Hi, Charlie. <laughs> Actually, that's... That's not a bad idea. I think we really need to, to build a brand around this. And then if you know things blow up, we can launch our own social network, build our own apps. I hate you, Brian. Next thing you know, we're billionaires riding high. Is that how it works? Is that the progression? Getting film deals with Bradley Cooper. You know the progression. Sure. <laughs> yeah, fine. Hello, Deets. Welcome to another episode. 
So last week we talked about uh, Morgan Knudsen's tweet storm, talking about uh, his experience working on Google+, and we mostly focused on the uh, little tidbit of information he gave there about negotiating for your starting salary and benefits and all that stuff, and we went pretty deep on that last episode, but there are a couple things that I also wanted to mention now that the tweet storm is over. The first of which is he mentioned how before you join Google, it seems like Google is this fairyland. It's this it's this fantasy place to, to work. There's micro kitchens as far as the eye can see and free lunch and nap pods and oh, massage hours and stuff, which all of that is true. And it can seem special from the outside. And, and once you get inside, maybe you notice that there's a little bit more politics and a little bit more... Uh, bullshit than you would normally expect from a place that seems so beautiful from the outside. But my response to that would be, it still does feel like that. Like I've, I've worked at Google for almost seven years now, Google for like three and, and YouTube for four. And it still feels special. It still feels like a privilege to work there. And maybe that's just me being gushy, but I don't know. I still get the feeling, uh, and I have to remind myself of it, but I still get this feeling of, of importance and of responsibility. You know, Brian, with great power comes great <laughs> responsibility. You've been playing too much Spider-Man. I have. I did. I just was playing earlier today. But when you work on a product that a ton of people love around the world, and, you know, obviously people don't love YouTube, <laughs> but a lot of people do, and a lot of people use it as their way of making money. We are a platform that helps people create their own platforms. That's a that's a big burden to carry, and it's a it's a big privilege to to have. And it's important to I think pinch yourself periodically and say, yes, this is important. Yes, this is real. Yes, this is special that I was chosen to work on some of this stuff because it is kind of magical from the inside. Yes, there's politics, but you're going to have that at any company. I don't care where you go, how small, how big, especially when it's big, there's going to be politics. There's going to be bullshit. There's going to be people who are jockeying for a position and using their power for evil. That's just going to happen everywhere. You just try to hire people that you don't think are going to do that. <laughs> so, and I, and I think that at Google, in my experience, the prevalence of that type of person is much lower than at my previous gig that I was at for a long time. So I don't have a ton of experience. This is relatively anecdotal, but of the two jobs I've worked at, <laughs> <laughs> this one is better. Google is far less political, although there yeah. is politics, right? But you're going to sure, have that sure. anywhere. Do you have the same stance on that? Like, do you feel the same? My uh, degree of experience is the same as yours. So I've had the small company and then Facebook, and then I I've worked with just two other people for the last almost two years. And all I can say is running running Spectrum has been the most political bullshit <laughs> hailstorm of my life. Like dealing with Brendan Max day to day, you know? Yeah. It's oh, truly, that Bryn guy. <laughs> that Bryn guy, truly, truly a political uh, jockeyer. I don't know the word here. Uh, no, but from from Buffer and Facebook, I think. You're joking about all that stuff with Bryn, right? I assume. <laughs> yeah, Let's course. just clear that up real quick. All right. I love working with Brendan Max. We've been working on a startup for a year and a half, and we are having a very, very fun time doing so. But before that at Facebook, sure, there's politics. I think the most interesting thing, the political aspect was uh, when it came promotion time, how that worked. Mainly how important your manager relationship is to getting a promotion or not versus the merit of your contribution to the company. I, I found personally and through conversations with others that it was actually the manager relationship that mattered more than the work you actually did. For better or for worse, I think that having a good relationship with a manager at a big company is incredibly powerful because they have authority and, and power to 
to sway the right people at the right time and, and pitch your contributions in very specific ways. And that's useful. That's really, really helpful. And obviously, that's not to say that you're not also doing good work. Hopefully you are. But I, I think, you know, that's an element of, of politics at companies is like those relationships matter. And those relationships are having conversations behind closed doors that you're not a party to and make decisions for you. And it's good to have those backroom conversations go in your favor. Yeah, I think maybe the, the piece of advice I would give when dealing with someone that you might perceive as political is, you know, it's better to have that person in your side, like on, on your side in your corner of the ring. But then are you just sucking up to them? Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But like, yeah, unless they are truly damaging the business, unless they are, you know, very toxic or, uh, you know, if they're if they're committing like sexual harassment or other things that are very much frowned upon, uh, to say the least, I think if they're playing by the rules and they're just more political or more manipulative, like and and there's no there's no way that they're going to get fired from the company for, because of their behavior. If they're succeeding due to their behavior, either leave the company because you don't like how that <laughs> how that uh, culture works, or become friends with them, right? Or at least <laughs> lean or at least be it. on their good side, right? Like yeah, yeah, you 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 know, be water, my friend, right? That's a that, that Bruce Lee thing, like you can't fight everything, and sometimes fighting fire with fire just catches the world on fire. So unless you want to see the world burn, sometimes it's best to to just be water. Actually, on that note, can we talk a little bit more about this tweet storm? Because I think from the outside, it's been interesting to watch the responses. And you're closer with Morgan, so I, I don't know how you feel, but you know, I, I I know Morgan. We've met several times. We've had him on the show, but watching the responses was incredibly very polarized, right? Like. Either people yeah, thought it was illuminating and painted picture of what happens inside these companies that stories that almost never get told for various reasons. And then others definitely commented, you know, this is they're unprofessional. Perhaps Morgan is damaging his career, burning bridges. Like all, all this is on Twitter. This isn't my, my opinion coming out at all. This is just reading and certainly like Hacker News and oh my gosh, just everywhere people were talking about this. So I'm curious... Marshall, what you think about maybe not the specifics, but about like this type of discourse in general, namely like airing dirty laundry in public on Twitter, especially in our industry where people know who people are, like it's relatively tight knit. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I tend to be the type to not burn bridges. I'd like to maintain my bridges, keep them intact. And that's served me well so far. Typically, that's a, a good... <laughs> That's a good method to follow, but... It's a sensible default is what we'd call that. Yeah, but I, I also... Yeah, sensible default. I, I also see the point of the person that's a more punk type viewpoint of damn the man, you know, yeah, like fuck fuck big Google, they're terrible and they deserve whatever they get kind of thing. And th that seems to be like, there, there's about three types of people. There's the damn the man people, there's the, whoa, you burn bridges, and there's the, well, that's unfortunate to hear, I didn't expect it to be that way, kind of in the middle. And yeah, I don't know that I would have done this myself. Like I have, you know, there, there are things that have happened that I'm not super happy about in my past career, both at Google and at my previous company. But it's like, you know, you learn from those things and you, you get to see the signs of those things happening and, and, and take action where you can. But sometimes some of that stuff is unavoidable and airing that dirty laundry only serves to further metastasize into different groups as far as like, yes, you're in the right or no, you're in the wrong. And I don't know, eventually the industry is so small that you see these people again and like, 
I don't know. I don't like confrontation. So Yeah. I, I think Morgan seems a little more willing to certainly from the tweets, like more willing to confront people about certain things. Well, I don't think I don't think Google could pay Morgan enough to come back, right? Like, I don't think there's a number big enough for him to ever want to come back. So, like, I I don't think there's any bridge that needed to be kept up there if it was burned. You know, it's not the bridge to Google, though, right? Like, Google is there's people at Google who have since left Google and now work at other places. And the question is how that, especially what you know, what you're saying, the size of our industry is relatively small, especially when we're talking about digital product designers, especially narrow even more narrowly in Silicon Valley. Yeah, everyone knows kind of can piece these things together. And I, I just wonder what, if any, fallout will have Morgan will experience from this, especially given that he's had a very successful career since then and has done a lot of really incredible stuff. So maybe there's like a degree of comfort there that it's okay for a few bridges to burn because there's so many other strong ones standing. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, knowing Morgan, he probably just doesn't give a shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. He's probably happier having spoken his mind than keeping it bottled up. I, I haven't I haven't talked to him about it specifically. I do know that he's gained like thousands of Twitter followers for what it's worth in the span of a few days. So that's a thing. But yeah, definitely controversial. And it's an interesting topic. But I did want to bring up that the idea of like, no place is perfect. And if you expect that, you're going to be disappointed. Set your expectations low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also free lunch is, is super cool. It is uh-huh. nice every time. So that's follow up. Let's get into uh, let's get into the news, which I think also will will turn into a longer conversation. Yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll keep it scoped well. But I've loosely been following the story of Facebook's latest product announcement. It's a couple of weeks ago, they announced the Facebook portal, which if you missed it, it is a, I think there's two products. There's like a a mini version and a a full size version. It's a screen that you put in your home that lets you video chat and uh, interface with different applications. You can interface with Amazon's Alexa through it. Uh, And there's some interesting technology around it, it can rotate and follow you through the room. So, you know, if you're having more dynamic conversations over a video call, you can participate in the room and the camera will just follow you. So there's some cool stuff there. Anyways, that that announced in a huge, huge piece of the announcement, obviously, was uh, how it the privacy policy worked, how, how Facebook was using the data that was recorded, how it was going to interface with advertisements. And they have an incredibly rich landing page and marketing push around privacy and security of the portal. Anyways, uh, that was a couple weeks ago. And then this week, uh, <laughs> they had to pull back a little bit. They said, oh, actually, yeah, all those video calls you're making are going through Messenger. And because they're going through Messenger, all the metadata is being collected and is informing ads being delivered on other Facebook products. So that made me start to think a little bit about what's going on right now in the smart home world, the the audio technology hardware world, the Amazon Alexas, Google Homes, now Facebook portal, home devices. I don't know how to call this category. But anyways, I've just been thinking a lot about what's going on here, especially as it relates to privacy and security. Why is it that people are so nervous about having a Facebook screen in their home, but wouldn't think twice about having a Google device in their home or an Amazon device in their home? Where are these lines drawn? What are the companies really up to? What data is being used. Uh, so anyways, that's what I want to talk about with you. And I've been doing a little bit of research as well to try and figure out as much as I can about what's going on behind the scenes here as far as privacy and security and, and how all that's affecting advertising. So anyways, Marshall, do you have an initial gut reaction to what's going on with the Facebook portal? Yeah, this is inevitable, right? <laughs> like having screens with cameras in your homes was going, was going to happen. 
right? Like that's, that's just kind of a natural extension of how technology seems to be headed. And the thing that stood out to me the most as far as privacy with this product was the cover for the camera. I don't know if you paid attention to that aspect did, yeah. of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I seem to remember this in a, in a previous Google product that I can't find right now, but there was, um, I think they released a, a product that have a, had a camera as another one of these home device things, but it had a very visible switch on it that would move a physical piece of plastic that would cover the camera. And it was very obvious when the camera was closed versus when it was open. So you knew like, hey, it's not just the light that's turned on or off that could be hacked and, and made to mislead you. This is a physical thing that will cover the camera. I know it's not seeing me. Um, and, and this new portal has a little clip that goes over the camera that absolutely covers it, and there's no way that it can see when this thing is on. So that strikes me as interesting that we've kind of gone away from digital digital solutions. <laughs> Just put a, put a piece of plastic over it. Right, which, which reminds me of that uh, picture from a couple of years ago of, of Mark Zuckerberg, where he was standing at a desk with his laptop, and his laptop had a piece of tape over the camera and over the microphone on his laptop. It was like, right. wow, if, if Mark's doing it, maybe <laughs> maybe we should all be doing this if he's afraid of, uh, of being hacked <laughs> and, and people hearing him and seeing him, then maybe we all should be. If the man that everyone's afraid of is afraid, <laughs> then we've got, you know, always a bigger fish kind of situation. Yeah. Well, quick question for you. Do you have covers on your cameras as far as laptop webcams iphone ipad things like that i don't i don't are you are you at all paranoid uh you also i know from being in your home you have what google home alexa is that it the two yeah i have one google home i have like two echoes like the big tall ones i have i have like several dots scattered around the, yeah scattered around so are you paranoid? What's your train of thought here when you think about having these devices in your home, talking to them, what they're being used for behind the scenes? Okay. Are you paranoid, Marshall? I'm but no, I'm not paranoid. And the reason I'm not paranoid is because maybe I understand the way these things work differently than other people do, uh, the, the average layperson. I think the average layperson thinks that when you Google something or when you type anything into Facebook or Twitter or whatever, that that term is being applied to you and it's going into a database where there's some sweaty, greasy dude in a, <laughs> in a locked room, a locked dark room, uh, breathing heavily over your information and uh, paying very close <laughs> attention to what you specifically do, right? Oh, such a great mental image right now. <laughs> yeah, right. And I think, I think that's inaccurate. I think if there is any sort of uh, attachment of you to your information, it is purely numeric. Like it's very much encrypted. It's very much divorced from you as a person. And so basically when you get an ad served up to you, it's not because somebody was looking at your webcam or somebody was like screen capture, like watching what you've been scrolling through on web pages and stuff. It's because you're a number in a system and there's an algorithm that goes, hey, numbers that, that look like this or numbers that have these like tags essentially attached to them that make them a type of person, we're going to throw this kind of stuff at them, or we're going to throw this other stuff at them, but we won't throw this other stuff at them because that won't, that doesn't work on them as well. Right. But you're not, you're not really a person. You're just a, you're just kind of a number that an algorithm defines as a particular archetype. Does that make sense? Let's linger on that a little bit more. <laughs> okay. I'm going to share a link here. We'll put this in the show notes. 
I think this came out uh, last week as well. Amazon has patented technology that could let Alexa analyze your voice to determine whether you are sick or depressed and sell you products based on your physical or emotional condition. Yeah, that's creepy. <laughs> so you're a number, like e this technology even, it, it's just adding metadata and color to that number, right? Like this number who has also bought all these things was sad when they bought them, right? Like, Yeah, the, I think archetype is the right way to refer sure. to it, right? Like you're, you're a type of person. Okay, it sounds like you're not paranoid of the attribution of these things to your identity, but are you at all concerned about the fact that this metadata, these algorithms, and these patents, which patents are not products, but this is patented technology from Amazon, it analyzes your voice to determine whether you are sick or depressed. Does this skeeve you out at all, the lengths that, that companies and technologists are going to to sell you shit? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a little creepy. I mean, like all great tools that can <laughs> oh, be used, used for good or evil, right? Uh, you, okay, do you disagree? Okay. Well, I think this is a great discussion because there is good things. Like you, I think I would imagine you could read this two ways depending on how paranoid or jaded you are of technology. So when I read Amazon has patented technology that can let Alexa analyze your voice to determine whether you are sick or depressed, I read that as incredibly creepy. But I imagine there are other people who are in it coming from a different state of mind or a different perspective who read that and think, wow, there's technology that can know I'm sick and help me or it can know I'm depressed and possibly offer solutions or you know the the great example here which as as much as i hate to say it would be facebook which uh, they have suicide detection tooling uh, implemented i think in, in in newsfeed where if you're posting certain kinds of things it looks for patterns that match you know people who are are susceptible to committing suicide and it, it intervenes and it pops up a message to try and get you to call the suicide prevention hotline and even if that saved one person's life that's incredibly valuable like who can put a, a price on that but yes there's a good and bad side and i read this from a very paranoid and, and jaded point of view but I, I guess there's another angle that i don't know it could be good for some people yeah i mean uh, all of these things are axes right like you with an axe you can build a house or murder a family right like mm. it, it is a tool that can be used for good or evil and AI, you know, is another one of those things like it can be used for good or evil, depending on whose hands it's in and what their agenda is. So it's hard to come down on one side of this thing. It's like, well, do you lock down all technological innovation for fear of the negative use of it? Or do you, you know, create it hoping that it will be used for good and, and help prevent suicides, like save lives, like this could literally save lives, but it could also be really bad, right? So I don't know where the line is there, and I don't know how to... I think that's above my pay grade. I don't know, man. Like, I, I can't think of the right word. I don't want to uh, puff up the responsibility of a designer too much because there are, are a lot of gears involved within organizations that make products like this happen. But I think there is design input into some like, something like this. And I do wonder the designers involved, whether they acknowledge the trade-off, whether they focus on the positives. Like, yeah, we can help prevent suicide or if they also acknowledge the backside of that axe let's call it a, a dwarven axe there's two edges and the second edge <laughs> it's like is a, du all a dual edged sword yeah selling people shit and like is there a responsibility here to address that to not design for it to actively shift the the company's use of this data or technology that was are you asking me a question sorry <laughs> perhaps a little rhetorical but um <laughs> yeah i guess i'm torn i just don't know 
I don't know where this stops. And like, you know, you're saying everything's an ax and the ax can be used for good or evil. And then you have to question, well, do I trust these companies wielding the ax? And then do I trust that in 20 years from now, the same people that I trust today will be wielding that ax? And yeah, that's a good point. What will their motivations be? And so I'm sure you can tell I I fall more on the paranoid side of this. I, I think it's incredibly creepy and I don't own smart home speaker technology, but you can't escape it. I, so I, while I was researching this, god damn it, it's ruining my day. Spotify does this. So Spotify, they've created these mood playlists, right? So you can go to genres and moods, and one of the moods is sad, one of the moods is workout, one of the moods is, you know, party or something like that. Mm-hmm. And now Spotify is selling the fact that you listen to these playlists to advertisers. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're sad, here's something that people who are sad buy. And it just makes me incredibly depressed that the music... <laughs> Maybe Spotify knows this now. All of these services are basically manipulating the emotional state of every product that I use to sell me more shit. And now it's seeping into the music I listen to. And uh, I find that incredibly discouraging. Yeah, no, I totally hear you. I, I, I think there's a flip side to that, which is I remember 10 years ago, there were still ads on the internet and you're still being bombarded with sidebars full of shit that you don't want. But it was stuff that was made specifically for other people, right? Like, and the, and the, the internet had no idea who you were as a person. So it served you up like I would get tampon ads, right? Or uh, stuff that just didn't apply to me. Like I'm, I'm never going to buy tampons. Sorry. That's like, just, just not applicable to me. Or like, uh, car insurance. I don't own a car. Like I don't need <laughs> to be given car insurance sure. ads, right? Like that's just not going to work. And that's a waste of money for the advertiser. That's a waste of money for the the site host. Like that's that's just a waste of time for everybody. It's a it's a missed uh, shot. So by personalizing this stuff more, at least the things that are being proffered to you are more applicable to you as a person. They're more likely to hit than miss. And if you don't want to buy it, just don't fucking buy it, right? Like, if you don't want a ha- if you don't want a camera in your house, don't put a fucking camera in your house. That's a pretty easy thing, right? Um, not that that's the only solution. But these companies are trying to give you every reason to put a camera in your house and every reason to put a microphone in your house, right? Like, yeah, the these things are whittling away at I think people's like reserves of energy to try and resist this kind of stuff, and it feels like giving up to just say fuck it. I just want the convenience of being able to ask Alexa the weather. Uh, and she can do whatever else she wants to do with figuring out if I'm sad or happy and then spinning ads up on, on amazon.com for, for that kind of stuff. I I think the ed, the, the cliff for me is the like abusing audio cues to determine if I'm sad or happy. Like that feels really, really manipulative. I think the previous world of, yeah, you visit these sites, you read these things, you interface with these people. I still think all that's fucked up, but it has nothing to do with my state of mind, I don't think. Perhaps, I guess, if they're reading my text messages, which I hope hope isn't happening. But getting into state of mind, I don't know. That feels incredibly manipulative. That's a little bit minority report, right? Minority report, but it's beyond anything that has come before. And uh, I don't know, man. I think the paranoia is coming out a little bit <laughs> hard from my end, but I just don't know where this where this ends. And as more devices enter more places, like how are they going to keep pushing to go further than this? Well, I'll tell you how. There's a really good YouTube video I watched a little while ago. It's basically a first person you know POV 
of someone with like AR technology, and it's a it is a dystopic look at the future of advertisements, and it's a person kind of going through their daily routine, like being on the bus and going through the grocery store, and there is this layer of ads and noise on top of everything, and I. Hate to break it to you, but that's probably where this is going. Assuming we don't end ourselves as a species beforehand, <laughs> I think I, I think yeah. that if we if we make it long enough and we don't have a collapse of civilization, like this is this is where it's going to go. Presuming we have coastal cities and a functioning democracy, <laughs> yeah, which you know, given another twenty years, might not be true. But yeah, I think if if everything continues as it is, like yeah, I hate to break it to you, but that's pretty much where we're going. Is there there will be ads catered specifically to you, Brian? You, your name, you, Brian, um, that are only shown to you as you walk down the street. That are projected directly into ret into your retinas. And no one else can see them, no one else can hear them, only you can. And they're inescapable as you walk down the street or go about your daily life. It's probably where it's headed, sadly. Welcome to the future, Brian. Isn't it a wonderful place to live? Hang on, I'm throwing my computer away. But you know, the interesting thing too is that I, I think it's inescapable at this point. I think there was a long running thread, I think last year is like on Reply All about is Facebook listening to you through the microphone on, on your smartphone or on your laptop? And I don't remember if they came to anything conclusive, but in that research, what they found, how they how companies like this target ads very, very well is just through your contacts list, right? So if you and I interface a lot and I post about certain things and you post about certain things, it can basically cross-reference that to figure out what we're both interested in and upsell those things when we're hanging out together. Or uh, it can determine the type of relationship. So like uh, it can determine a, a mother-son relationship and when it's holiday times, show the son advertisements for things things the mother would be interested in, in acquiring as a gift and, and vice versa. So you can't even escape it if even if you're not using these things like or yeah, I don't have a smart home, but I'm sure in some ways all, all of our, our relationships are getting mixed up in the back end somehow. And even if it's just numbers and algorithms, it's all, you know, ads that show up on my screen that are manipulating the, the relationships I have and the things that I care about to sell me stuff. But maybe it's been that way since since the dawn of advertisements. I, yeah. No, it's just become more sophisticated, right? Like it's become more sophisticated to uh, an inescapable degree. Yeah, it's a, it's a slow ramp up and we are not at the ceiling yet. It will continue yeah. to become more and more specialized. I think maybe a silver lining for those paranoid among us would be that whenever a thing like this rears its ugly head, there is usually an equal and opposite response in ways to protect yourself. So whether that's VPNs or Tor or, I don't know, just going full-on hermit and living in a cabin in the middle of the woods like there will be your ad blocks and that type of thing that can that can counter these things there's always going to be a fight between those who want to advertise to you and those who want to not be advertised to yeah and and they will create tools to keep your anonymity and keep your privacy intact while those same tools are reverse engineered and overcome and it's just a cycle that will continue but yeah, I think there will always be an equal and opposite reaction to whatever happens in this advertisement field, whether that's getting special eyeballs put in like Minority Report or, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's lots of companies that are doing very wholesome things. And, you know, Apple is certainly leaning into this moment in time as being a very privacy forward company. I wish that more companies had access to the algorithms that power some of these smart speaker technologies like it seems reasonable for people to also want to spend $200 on a speaker that can do all these things and voice commands that's not sold by a company that fundamentally 
relies on ads. Like, I just want to pay $200 for this speaker. The speaker talks to a, a backend that provides me a service and and that's it. And maybe I pay 10 bucks a month for it. Like, I don't know, I guess this would be like the nests of the world. And I don't even know how good Nest is about how it interfaces with with other companies and what where data goes. But you buy a camera, you pay a little bit per month for the service that the camera provides and, and be done with it. I wish there was more of that in these consumer type products like the smart speakers. HomePod's kind of that way, right? I mean, it's just so like poorly featured that maybe, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like there's just no way for a company to build up that kind of technological expertise without being a Google or Facebook, right? Yeah. Apple seems especially interested in maintaining user privacy too. Not that the other yeah. companies aren't, but they they very much go above and beyond to say, hey, look, this is what we're doing. We're putting this on an, an encrypted chip that, you know, it, it doesn't even know what's going on. <laughs> like basically full anonymity end to end. I'm definitely bullish on that type of product. So, but I don't know if I'll get a HomePod. I'll, I'll remain skeptical for the time being. We're all headed to a dark future, Brian. Indeed. Dark times ahead, <laughs> Marshall. I, I'm excited to to push forward with you by my side and we can record the demise in real time onward into the dark (laughs) for future aliens to discover the slow decline on this design podcast Uh, i bow to our future robot overlords uh yeah yeah by the way we're uh, super just to get that on record spare us please i don't know how much we talked about design in this episode but it was more a rant on privacy i guess yeah sorry Sorry, Dietz. Hope it was okay, Dietz. Yeah, I don't know what what you expect out of this show, but I think we're having fun just talking about things that are happening. So, yeah, you want to talk about cool things? Yeah, you can go first. Sure. What's our new acronym for not new but cool? INBIC. It's not it's not new, but it is cool. INBIC, an app called Fitbod. This is a workout application that I've been using for uh, maybe a year now, and a friend turned me on to it. And this is actually one of those things where the data is being used for good, and I hope they don't ever get bought by an advertising company that knows my body type, height, weight, strength, yeah. all this kind of stuff. Jesus. I really, really hope so. So FitBod, <laughs> if you're listening, please do not sell my data. Yeah. We still feed all of our information into this shit, though. Like, in I order know. to get the utility, you gotta, you gotta put your information. It's a trade-off, man. It's a trade-off. I mean, dude, all I can hope is that Apple stays on the same path. Because, my God, if this health... Like, I'm putting so much information into the health app and all this kind of stuff. Anyways, so FitBod is an application for people who are interested in working out and logging those workouts and tracking progression over time. And I know that there's lots of apps that do this, and I've tried several of them in the past, but FitBod's kind of the first one that stuck for me. And... Uh, it's a cool product in that it's well-designed, but they do some nice things uh, around progression that I think is super useful. So specifically, every time you open the app, uh, they generate a workout for you, and that workout is aware of your past exercises, your performance on those exercises, the amount of time it's been since you've worked those muscle groups, and it generates a workout based on you know, like what it thinks you will be most suitable to do that day at that point in time. And then of those exercises, it randomly varies the weight, the number of repetitions, the time between repetitions. Uh, So it's just like a really nice way for a computer to tell me what to do in real time. And I don't ever have to think while I'm at the gym, which is kind of my dream. I can just go and listen to a podcast or listen to music. And uh, when the thing buzzes, I push some metal up and down which is perfect for a person like me. So uh, it's a nice app. It's well-designed. It takes. I, I love your description <laughs> of weightlifting. Moving some some LBs. But the nice thing is it has a, a great Apple Watch app as well. So for people who have uh, an Apple Watch, the app basically makes it so you never have to touch your phone while you're at the gym. You can just log workouts, uh, adjust weights and reps through the uh, digital crown, and uh, it 
buzzes your wrist whenever it's time for the next set. So you can just sort of navigate your way through an entire hour-long exercise or, or workout routine without having to look at your phone. So this is a nice app. I think you pay monthly for it, which again, I hope that it's enough to sustain this company that they don't ever have to sell my data. But anyways, so for designers and developers out there who are working out and want some great logging, a nice in-gym tool to, to facilitate the workout, check out FitBud. I think you I think you told me about that app. One of the cool things that stuck out to me with that app was that there's cool down for muscle groups. Right. So when you work out a muscle group or a, a particular muscle, it will register that and have it on cool down so that it won't give you more exercises for that particular muscle until it's back to near full capacity, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at mine now. It says my shoulders are at 10% recovery. So don't do shoulder stuff. Are your shoulders sore? Uh, no, but I, I did them yesterday. So anyways, that filters into what your next workout will be, which is really nice. I like not being able to think about things and just letting it letting it make the decisions for me, ideally in, in a way that progresses me, right? Like I don't have to worry about the progression because it's just taken care of. Yeah, that's the that's the thing I'm so excited about with this tonal thing, that quick update. I, I ordered it. It was supposed to be delivered uh, late September. It is now mid-October, almost late October, and still hasn't been delivered. I think they had a, a large... Uh, demand for this and and uh, they're catching up but uh, it's supposed to be installed in my house later this month or early next month so I'll continue to upgrade uh, update you on that but one of the cool things about that is I don't even have to put in the numbers it knows what right. I lifted it knows all those th- there's no translation from real world to the digital tracking it's all just tracked automatically and it can it can do that kind of increase of like well last time you did 100 pounds and let's, this time let's try 105 right right um, so I think I think that's pretty cool I'm looking forward to that but I'll, I'll keep you updated on on then how that goes I I think that that's the direction gyms are going once that the cost of that technology is less prohibitive. I imagine it's starting to happen on like treadmills where you can walk up to a machine, tap your Apple Watch, it recognizes your profile and then automatically logs your stuff. I think that sort of tech will make its way into more gym equipment, but certainly having that at home and being on the cutting edge is really exciting. So that's cool. Yeah, I'm not sure how open source it is. Like if you if it only works with Apple Watch, like if it only works with Apple products, if it's a proprietary Apple thing, like that's still unfortunate. Yeah. I imagine it's a set of apps that some company makes and then just goes around and tries to sell gym by gym. So it's up to that company to support different devices and users and stuff like that. Yeah. It's kind of like CarPlay or something like it'll it'll be a slow build toward the point that it's kind of standard on every vehicle. But yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was a cool thing. My cool thing is. All right. <laughs> so. So I'm going to preface this with a a little story. So I liked Halloween growing up, and it's about Halloween time right now. And and, and the reason I liked Halloween wasn't necessarily because of the costumes or the vibe of it, you know, pumpkin carving or any of that stuff, or I'm not into like darkness or anything. The lattes at Starbucks. Yeah, despite our inevitable future, I'm not super into darkness. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) But I am a big fan of the candy. I do like candy. And there was a point when I was in college, a light bulb went off in my head and I realized, oh, wait, I could just go buy candy. Like I can just go buy like a $10 gigantic bag of candy. And that's better than any trick or treat haul I've ever gotten. And uh, I can go trick or treating every day of my adult life in aisle 11. (laughs) Yeah, especially after Halloween. That shit is cheap. Just trying to get rid Uh of it. You can buy a giant bag Uh of candy for like a couple bucks. So in the same way that that happened, when I was a kid, when I was in like fifth or sixth grade, I was super into shoes and I didn't grow up super wealthy. So uh, I didn't have good shoes most of the time. I got made fun of for my off-brand Payless shoes. So I always coveted the rich kids' Jordans and stuff. And 
recently, about a few months ago, I realized, like, wait a minute, I make money. I can, I can just buy <laughs> shoes if I want to. And a lot of companies are like, like Nike does all these retro versions of shoes, so they're like reproducing old shoes that are out of production or, or have been for a while. So it's almost like they know you're a demographic. <laughs> uh-huh. An archetype. So I realized I can just go buy shoes. So I've been buying a ton of shoes, and the app I've been using is called StockX. S T O C K X. Um, it's basically eBay for shoes. So you can search by size and gender and newness, whether it's used or brand new in box. Obviously, used is going to be cheaper. But the, uh, one of the cool things about this app is it keeps track of all of the sales of a given shoe and colorway and everything, so that it knows the history of when of what this shoe was sold at in in the recent months. So you can watch it like a stock market, hence StockX. You can watch the price rise and fall and buy when it's low. And if you're a reseller, you can sell when it's high. So that's a really cool thing. So you can kind of wait to see uh, what the shoe is doing and, and get it at a cheaper price. And even then, like that's just when the last one, that's what just the price that the last one sold at. You can still bid lower, just like eBay. So if the person is just trying to get rid of the shoes, you can get it for a better price. They can come down or you can go up. There can be bidding wars. It's pretty interesting. But yeah, I've been buying a whole lot of shoes on, on StockX recently and I've had to cool it down. I wish... So desperately, I had a childhood thing that I wished I could get into that I couldn't afford that I was still interested in now and could afford. I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I could like relive that in the same way that you're getting to do with shoes and candy. Uh, that's a bummer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, candy for sure. That's been that's been a while. <laughs> that's key. But, it's but key. Yeah. For- for people who uh, have not been to Marshall's house, which I assume is most people listening, literally <laughs> just probably. like plastic containers very neatly organized with just full of skittles and starbursts and but but also like you know you, you can't always have sweet you got to have savory too so we got like always. wheat thins and uh, uh wasabi peas and stuff like that but man those those oxo containers are a lifesaver man they, yeah, they yeah, yeah. stack really nicely yeah you can see exactly how much is left it's very organized but yeah stock x stock x cool big fan of the shoes oh and here's the other cool thing when you do buy the shoes the way it works is the seller sends those shoes not directly to you they send them to StockX's headquarters first and they have experts there that look at those shoes and they um, determine whether or not they're legitimate or like knockoffs um, so they determine that they're the right shoe the right colorway the right size and um, legitimately from the manufacturer and only once they verified that do they send it to you. So you can be sure that, you know, when you pay $700 for a new pair of Yeezys, which I didn't do, by the way, that's crazy. But crazy, when you pay yeah. a ton of money for, or, or actually, I think on StockX, you can actually buy the um, Air Mags from Back to the Future 2 for like $10,000 or something like that, $15,000. So you want to make Sign sure that those up. are legitimately the real shoes before they show up at your door and you can't send them back. So yeah, StockX. Highly recommended if you're into the shoes. Cool. Shoes. Remember that video from like time ago? <laughs> oh my God. What's that guy's name again? Liam Kyle Sullivan. Is that the original? Yeah, 64 million views. Damn. Shoes. That was one of the like original, would you call that a meme? Like the YouTube memes? I don't know. That was pretty yeah. early on. I mean, 2007. That's yeah, like there you go. 11 years ago. Holy hell. Jesus Christ. Well, for we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well, I guess, if anyone sure needs will. a uh, little hit of YouTube nostalgia. Shiz. Shiz. All right, let's wrap it up. Thank you to Sarah and Drew, our fantastic 
producers and editors that make us sound smarter than we are mm -hmm. they do amazing work you should follow them we have links to their twitter handles in all of our show notes so thank you sarah and drew for working on this episode thank you to you for listening uh we hope you enjoyed it if you did let us know what you think we're on twitter at design details fm if you are enjoying the show we love itunes reviews those are super helpful not only because we like reading them but also it tells apple that you're listening and then they will help us be discovered by more designers and developers like you. So an iTunes review is super, super helpful. Uh, and if you want to just chat with other people who are listening to the show, go to spectrum.chat slash specfm. That's where our community is. And we post all the episodes there. So you can talk about the episodes after the fact. And then, of course, finally, check out uh, our job board. It's at spec.fm slash jobs. If you are looking for a job, we've got some listings up on there. And if your company or team is hiring, we have made it pretty affordable to put your, your job up there and we'll get that in front of people who listen to shows on the Spec Network. So that's at spec.fm slash jobs. Anything else? Uh, no, I think that's about it. I think that's about it, huh? I uh, hope, uh, hope you sleep well. I'll be watching you while you sleep through your Amazon camera. Oh yeah, all those Amazon cameras I have pointing directly <laughs> at my bed. Uh -huh. <laughs> that's definitely something that I will do. Cool. Well, I'll see you in my dreams. Sleep tight, brain. Bye. <laughs> Jesus. I thought you were about to make a Kanye West joke and you were just really teeing it up and you're going to say, see you in my nightmares, but you didn't say it. So, oh, uh, no, so I'll see you in your beautiful, dark, twisted fantasies, right? Okay. This is getting weird. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>